Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. If you are interested on how to build sustainable cities, you may also want to listen to my podcasts with Bo Frank and Christina Persson. Bo was the former mayor of the city of Växjö in Sweden and Christina, the former minister for Nordic Cooperation and Strategic Development. They talk candidly about governance and leadership at both local and national levels and how to change cities and regions. And if you're like me and believe in the power of mayors, there's a great book you must read, Should Mayors Rule the World, written by Benjamin Barber. Visit my blog page at kaiembren.org and leave your comments and suggestions for the podcast. There is a new Transformer every other week. You can listen at the website kaiembren.org or in Spotify, Apple and Google. If you are interested in sustainability, follow me on Twitter at kaiembren, LinkedIn or Facebook. My guest today is Mark Watts, Executive Director of C40 Cities. Mark has been the executive director of C40 Cities since December 2013. During this period, the organization grew from 63 to 96 of the world's greatest cities and from 40 to over 200 staff across the globe. C40 Cities representing more than 700 million citizens and one quarter of the global economy. Before Mark joined the C40 Cities, he was director at the engineering and design firm Arup. And before that, he was a senior advisor to the mayor of London and the task force behind Ken Livingstone's drive to make London lead the battle against climate change. C40 Cities' role is to inspire and to promote cities to become leaders to fight climate change. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me. I would like to start to go back to 2006 when you visited Stockholm together with the London Vice Mayor Nicky Gabron. And that trip brought the city of Stockholm and city of London together for the first time. We used our networks to set, it, uh, set up this meeting and I had the access to the Stockholm city decision makers and you to London's. At that time, the name for this uh, initiative was still C20. How have the roles of cities changed in these few 14 years? Uh, well, I remember that trip very well as well. It was, it was very um, instructive, instrumental, I would say for me and personally in my, in my career. Um, and, and it was the sort of really was the foundation point for what C40 became because I think from a London, coming from a London perspective, working for the mayor of London and with Nicky Gavron, an incredible deputy mayor, we were very ambitious in what we were doing around climate change, but coming to Stockholm was an eye opener. And that really set the platform for me in, in the value of networking between cities. That even a big, well-resourced city like London could move a lot faster, be a lot more ambitious, um, particularly on a newer issue like climate change, which for them, then was a relatively new issue for a city government for a mayor to be taken up, hmm. um, if we reached out and we worked together. And so the C C20, which had been a kind of Nicky Govern-inspired sort of one-off event at that point, that's when it really became something that we could see needed to become an ongoing organisation that kept mayors working together. 
and whereas now you look to now it's it, it totally accepted amongst major city mayors you have to focus on on climate change it's a major part of the agenda many many mayors see it as as their most important thing that they're focused on the thing where their leadership matters most their responsibilities are greatest so i think that's changed a lot I, I, i'd say also at that point back in 2006 there, there were there was quite a bit of collaboration between cities internationally but it was very nascent it was just starting out whereas now it's it's a again a really normal fundamental part of how city governments work that they collaborate with others through networks like c40 uh, and others i think you know the other sadly the other big change is that we are whereas then we were projecting crisis now we know we're absolutely in the climate crisis in the climate emergency let me think about the challenges for for cities but also for nation but uh, when we look at c40 cities uh, I, I understand that about 70% of the C40 cities today have uh, implemented new and better or, or faster climate action that as a result for participating in C40 cities network. Can you give some practical examples of these actions? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that, that figure is taken from our survey of our members. So, so really trying to get to can they say with absolute certainty they've done stuff that they just would not have done had they not been involved in, in C40 and collaborating with other cities? And that's a, it's a great number, it's a very, very high kind of percentage. I, the, the big thing that all of all of our member cities have done or are doing at the moment because it's a condition of membership of C40 is to have a really robust data-driven plan in place for how they'll constrain emissions so that they contribute to their part of halving global emissions by 2030 and zero by 2050 so will that was the cons consistent with the what the country should be bringing forward to the cop if it had been this year now next year we'll have about two-thirds of our members will have done that by the end of this year and the rest early in in next year where we've also seen very fundamental change i would say is in in the building sector where now we've got 10 or so cities that are already well on the, implementing zero carbon building codes and that will become the norm across the whole network because there's a much bigger group behind that that's committed that they're going to get to the same in the transport sector huge shifts now i mean i, I back in 2006 standing up and saying that mayors should see cycling as a major part of mobility within a city you were often laughed at in a room of professionals uh, now no one would laugh at you it's a major tool in every mayor's armory and that general attempt to shift away from motorized transport to cycling and walking and 15 minute cities where you can easily walk and cycle to all the things you need i'd say that's moved tremendously forward then you know there's lots of other things but they're the two big areas where there's big been big progress hmm. well you named uh, the coop meetings and uh, can you see that uh, the 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 city's role of of the un climate negotiation has been stronger yeah, I mean, here, Paris Agreement, at the time of the Paris Agreement, we were very proud of the role that mayors played in creating that positive drumbeat in the lead up to the pain. And we forget now it wasn't a, it wasn't a done deal that there was going to be an agreement in Paris and certainly not one that enshrined well under two and 1.5 degrees in the agreement. And I think the positive pressure of, the, of cities, particularly the big ones, the very well known ones, being able to stand up and say we're committed to that goal in the places that people most want to live. I think that really helped. 
in the, for the last last few years, it's it's been a bit different where you've really needed that non-state actor leadership as intergovernmental collaboration collapsed after President Trump's election and President Bolsonaro has really held everything back at an intergovernmental level until the last few weeks, actually. I think we've those announcements from China and then Japan and South Korea on the back of the UK and Germany and, and the, the Scandinavians already having those net zero commitments. You know, you feel like the pendulum's moving again, but in that interim, the voice of mayors has been really important alongside other non-state actors. Uh, I was really impressed about the mayor's uh, actions in Paris and the voice of the mayors, because uh, I remember also I brought the, the Nordic mayors to Paris uh, and uh, to inspire others to, to learn something from the Nordics. And I met also uh, uh, Michael Bloomberg and, and he agreed with me about the, the, the role that the Nordic mayors could play. And um, then it, I think it was about 800 mayors in Paris. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was ne nearly a thousand actually. In, yeah. In, yeah. But I felt that it was a pretty much of a um, power Power, strong power from from the municipalities uh, position uh, and also helped others to to take on board we have another road if not the national government do it the mayors can do it yeah and I'm that that's I think that's an important political role that mayors can play which is to be amongst the powerful political leaders in the world to be up, out front on climate just saying it is a top priority and it needs to be a top priority for every political leader pushing on the targets you know in c40 we've always tried to go with the science so we were calling for 1.5 degrees to be the target back from 2015 onwards whilst most governments were still arguing about whether it was two and i think that's a good role that's where mayors should be a bit ahead and pushing at the moment where you're really seeing pressure from mayors is on the covid recovery and, and seeing that this is the absolutely pivotal, critical moment. If we get a green stimulus, if we build back better as the Secretary General of the UN has been arguing for, you, you really can see a chance of constraining global average temperature rise below 1.5 degrees, which otherwise would seem out of reach. But if we don't, if we carry on with the kind of stimulus that you're seeing at the moment, then there is no chance of that target, no chance of two degrees. We're gonna blast right through them. And, and mayors have been really instrumental in arguing for that green recovery, even whilst they're dealing with it, they're right in the midst of dealing with the pandemic themselves. We are not far away from the issue around governance now. And I, I, one of the topics I have covered in earlier podcasts was leadership and governance. I have been reflecting on the city of Växjö, which is not a member of C40. It's a 100,000 people city, but uh, its charismatic mayor, Bo Frank, decided already in the 1990s to, be, uh, to become fossil free 2030. Their governance model is based on a cross-party political unity, a top-down and a bottom-up model. What is your view of uh, governance and city models in the C40 cities? Well, we've got, we've got such a wide range of governance models across C40, and I, I'd be a fool to kind of say one is, one is the one that, that works best. But what I think you can take generically as a, as a governance model, it's the ability and willingness to listen and collaborate that makes the most difference. So that ability to look outwards to the rest of the world in a network like C40 and not feel that all the solutions in your own big powerful city, you can learn from others. 
And I think the Nordic cities have been the, the exemplar in that, both in, in setting the example to follow, but, it, but also in being so networked and so reach, reaching out so much and so collaborative. And, it, and it's really been the, the fulcrum of, of C40, but also and then in increasingly in trying to build coalitions locally. So I, you know, our mayors are very focused on working with youth leaders who've been such a strong voice on climate, really trying to, to build more strategic alliances with business, not just interacting through procurement, but strategic allies around climate and working across the spectrum with the labor unions. We, we do that increasingly now and with civil society movements generally. And I think that's, you know, that's where the power lies in bringing together those coalitions, not being constrained by your own powers and governance model. Mm. Uh, when you look at uh, on the global uh, arena, then then the relationship between the national and the local governments, do the cities need more independency to do things faster? Yes, I'd say in general, if we're really going to be successful on staying within planetary boundaries, building a sustainable and a just future, then a good way for national leaders to go about things is to devolve more power to local leaders so that they can take the risks take the political risks you would never have had in the western world congestion pricing if it hadn't london and stockholm hadn't been able to do that themselves and show that it was possible never possible at a, at a national level i think it's, it's you know i'm slightly paused in answering that question because of it right at the moment the single biggest issue around sustainability and climate in my mind is what's going to be the nature of the stimulus from the West coming out of COVID and in, and in the East in China. And that's a very much a national government decision. But I think the big role there for cities is in putting the arguments for why it needs to be green and just and showing a route, the national climate objectives is going to be empowering cities to, to kickstart things with a really fast uh, shift towards halving emissions by 2030. Mm. Well, nowadays cities are attempting to address the need of system change uh, and disrupt silo thinking. How you, would you describe a system change from a city perspective? In C40, in most of the cities' organisations, we talk about carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, increasingly now marrying that with, with uh, equity, reducing inequality. But we need to be talking in terms of planetary boundaries and understanding the wider planetary boundaries. I think Kate Rainworth's work around donor economics is, a, is the right framework, trying to work out how you live within planetary ecological boundaries and also stay within that bit of the donut that provides people with a thriving society socially and, and economically. So I think that, you know, there's still some sort of way to go on that. But what mayors have been really good at is you can see the linkages in thinking in a systems way across, across the municipality to understanding how decisions that you make around planning and buildings is going to affect the decisions you need to make on transport and when you put in those new bus lanes here's your chance also to put in the new drainage to think about improving the resilience of the city i think increasingly that you know, mayors are, are doing are thinking in a systems way, even if that language isn't always used. Mm. No, but um, the, the question when when you think about uh, the involvement of stakeholders in 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 a geographic area, that uh, maybe the municipality is not used to involve so many different types of, of, of um, uh, stakeholders that is necessary, and maybe the municipalities 
structure, maybe it's not built of a system thinking. Um, but if you do mm -hmm. so, understand understandably, uh, it's easier if um, you have a good leadership in place to open up for maybe a new way of thinking. Do you see anything uh, change? I, I, I think I have been meeting other people in, in I think it was Paris, who, who uh, trying to use also crowdsourcing and crowdfunding in, in new way of how to structure the municipality's way of take decisions and, and think in, in a more system, system uh, models. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, I think it is, I think, uh, you know, it is going against the, the kind of the norm of how cities function, but Paris, Paris has been really interested also in their, um, their participatory budgets, because they now have a section of the budget that the council doesn't make or the mayor doesn't make a decision on, but is put out to communities to decide how they want to spend the money. And generally you see that being used in, in very kind of progressive, but from an environmental point of view way. Merit Elgo also did this, this amazing uh, reinvented Paris, reinventing Paris program where they offered up public land and public buildings that weren't being used and invited bids to use them not to be sold to the highest bidder to sell off the land, but to combinations of communities and architects and engineers who had a, a proposal for the site that would fit with the city's overall strategy. So I think a good example of strong political leadership this is the direction we're going in and devolving you know asking others to come in and put a suggestion to how to achieve it and that's you know looking over the over the atlantic megar city in, in los angeles has done something very similar his his climate strategy is actually called his green new deal and it's founded on a whole series of community outreach a youth council a green new deal council a real engagement with civil society movements so that the, again, the, strat, the clear direction of the strategy is set, but the implementation of it is very devolved and involve, involving. Where do you see the challenges to bring investors' capital into the municipalities? Well, I think the simple answer to that is that the investment community is not focused, is not mission driven, and is not focused on solving the climate challenge i know there are some ex in very important exceptions to that but in general that that the investment community is driven by financial return short-term financial return and that that really does need to change and there's a fundamental mismatch between political leadership and investment leadership in general with some very important exceptions. but do you see do you see any change uh, in the relationship between investors and municipalities role I think it, it's changing in a number of important ones. First of all, that, that, that municipalities realizing that they themselves are investors because of the often huge pension uh, funds that they control. Oh, yes. We just had 12 cities uh, divest their pension funds entirely from fossil fuels led by New York and London, huge, huge pension funds. So I think that starts to really shift the market and you could see that going further if they then started to look for joint vehicles to invest in, so it's divest and invest, so that there were investment pots that were going to be helping deliver on the mayor's municipal uh, climate targets. I think, you know, also there's there's been greater realization from mayors about how they can send really strong signals to markets and investors. Seeing that particularly in the vehicle electrification, where 
if mayors had listened to the voice of manufacturers and indeed investors, we wouldn't be looking at wholly electric or zero emission bus fleets until 2040. Whereas now we've got a whole uh, group of C4D cities that will buy their last uh, fossil fuel powered bus by 2025 at the very latest, most of them already there or in the next couple of years, and we'll have fully electric fleets by 2030. And the market has changed really rapidly. Oh, I have to say, part of the biggest factor in that, one major investor, the Chinese government, which has ensured that Chinese cities have moved even more rapidly and will mostly have fully electric bus fleets in the very early 2020s. And that's changed the whole world market. Do you, uh, how do you build bridges between investors and cities? Well, I, I think political leaders seeing that their role is to create a level playing field, set the right rules and regulations, and then hope that investors and the rest of the private sector do the right thing for delivering the mission on tackling climate change. And instead, we need to see what Mariana Mazzucchi calls you know, the entrepreneurial government, where city leaders see themselves as creating and shaping markets to deliver that mission and empowering the progressive market players to really come in and have and have massive opportunity behind it. And so I think it, it's a combination of the, the kind of thing that we saw in the in that electric bus market, where you're sending a strong market signal by saying we want to buy zero emission buses right now but if if the market's not forthcoming going ahead and becoming the investor yourself to make it happen a really good example of that is in um, in austin texas where faced with rapidly rising energy demand because of hotter constantly increasing temperatures and so increasing need for cooling the city was under pressure to to uh authorise construction of new fossil fuel powered electricity generation. Instead, what the mayor, and this is successive mayors now, that's 2007, have decided to do, was to have a massive programme of investment through their own utility and energy efficiency. So subsidising the retrofitting of homes and offices, subsidising households to invest in solar panels themselves with effectively a, a kind of feed-in tariff. And so reducing energy demand whilst increasing supply of renewables to the point that now 50% renewable electricity supply five years ahead of target and moving rapidly towards 75% and supported by the big manufacturers in, in Austin, which bear in mind is in Texas, uh, because they see that the, the price of solar electricity is more stable than fossil fuel. So they really, really shifted a market very quickly, but it, it happened because the city was willing to invest itself as well as sending a signal. When we talk about consumption in cities, mm. uh, which uh, contribute to, to the climate crisis, uh, when we talk about food, clothing, electronic equipment, airplane, travel, delivery services and building construction industry, can mayors in cities and business leaders be better to tackling consumption? Yes, and C40 cities emissions are a bit more than double if you include consumption-based emissions than if you yes. just do yeah. production. And it, it, I think it, it creates it creates a, some problems for mayors because you're then looking at things that don't feel like mayoral responsibility, what people eat, 
how they dress, where they buy their consumable, their electronic consumable goods from. But it's it's a real factor of you know the city's environmental footprint. And actually, there's a lot that mayors can do to encourage a circular economy, to influence consumer uh, behaviour, starting with their own procurement. And so we particularly mm -hmm. focused around food uh, and construction, mm -hmm. um, where, where mayors have stronger powers. And supply chain and procurement policies uh, should be a driver to change here, isn't it? Totally. And again, you know, here we're back to Nordic leading here because it's been very much the mayor of Oslo and Stockholm, Copenhagen, but particularly Oslo that have been uh, setting the, the, the pace around clean construction in cities, clean construction sites first and foremost, and then looking at embedded in, in, in emissions in, in the materials used to construct, for which there's very good engineering understanding now that regulation has not caught up. Uh, and so here we're trying to, to try to work out how to set some new standards in across C40 cities that would make genuinely clean construction from consumption point of view a reality. Let's just go back again uh, into the area. We talked a little bit about mobility and transportation, but I remember in 2006 when you visit Stockholm, how Nicky Gavron was so impressed with the numbers of bikes in the city. Mm -hmm. And uh, she saw also that she can measure how many bikes pass by the street we were walking on. But uh, uh, I understand that I have seen it also here in London now. Uh, so maybe she brought some of the ideas from Stockholm into this uh, type of awareness building. But uh, how do you see the future of transportation and mobility solution for cities? Is it going to be fossil free transportation all over the cities? Fossil fuel for definite. I, for me, the bigger change I'd say is, and partly where COVID had a really big impact is the, the shift to that 15 minute city concept that most people ought to be able to live within a 15 minute walk or cycle of most of the basic communities that they want to access and probably where they work and that's a really big shift for most big cities who, who have grown up on a model of suburban living and people working in the central business district and therefore needs to transport to come in on those radial routes in i i think that's been shifting for a little while covid's really accelerated that and so we're seeing a boom in in cycling across all c40 cities lots of mayors telling me they've built more kilometers of cycle lane in the last nine months than they did in the previous nine years or whatever um, and it's popular although there's some pushback as you know you'll have seen in in london and, and, and britain there's there's a strong driver's lobby still but i, I think when it's allied to more space for cycling, but more space for pedestrians, more public space in general, being able to eat outside of restaurants, more parks, which again, people have really seen the value of. And that rising understanding everywhere of, of the impact of air pollution, because people having some experience now of clean sky, clear skies, has, has pushed it up the agenda. You know, one, one major city in C40, Sydney, in their annual public opinion survey, they've seen right in the midst of the pandemic, number one issue for people is climate change and air pollution. Because partly because they had the, those terrible wildfires last year, but also because they've seen what clean air 
is like during that during lockdown. Mm. Uh, Covid uh, on the pandemic pandemic also have make a pressure on how we work and from where we work, and digitalization must be a part of this type of mobility change in the in the city. Is that that will be a sort of a mega change for cities? I think a major change in terms of where people are moving to and from, not necessarily a reduction in mobility. I think we're going to keep seeing increases in mobility, but that pattern that we've seen in an exaggerated way during lockdowns, where there's a massive drop off in, in movement, people movement, vehicle movements in the centre of the city, but a big increase everywhere else, shorter trips. That feels to me like it's, it, it's more here to stay. It's gonna be harder in the North American cities and others that have been really designed for the car, designed for the suburbs, but it, it, it's, it's coming everywhere. There are some other factors. And I, I, was, I was at a speaking at an online event the other day and was asked what's C40's policy on urban air travel? Urban air travel, because the, the air travel industry seeing that there is now significant potential for short flights within city, not so much people, but for deliveries of goods, probably by drones rather than piloted vehicles. So the airspace starts to become more of an issue. And of course, vehicle autonomy also is going to be a big debate over the next few years, could be a, a massive boon for sustainability, but could just create another whole type of congestion and inequality, uh, where access to uh, robot-driven cars is the, the kind of sign of success. I think you know that's something we need to avoid and that what we're seeing at the moment in terrible circumstances is actually a pretty progressive mood. More, more walking, more cycling, less using of cars. Looking at uh, entrepreneurs in city thinking, um, if you go to late uh, Benjamin Barber, a city entrepreneur, who said in TED Talk 2013 that mayor should rule the world. Is that a question to be addressed today? Mm. I, think, I think it's really interesting the way you pose the question because I think it's really important that mayors and political leaders in general see themselves as entrepreneurs, not that there's this separate class of innovative, creative people who drive the development of humanity that are in business and then there's politicians who are kind of boring and kind of monodirectional. Um, we, we need that entrepreneurialism and creativity in the private sector, the commercial sector, and in the public sector. And the reason why I think Ben Barber's was so spot on in talking about posing the question, should mayors rule the world is, actually at the moment amongst political leaders, it's mayors that have shown themselves more alert to big global problems like climate, migration, even COVID, I would argue. Mayors that have shown themselves much more, much better to collaborate across geographic boundaries, economic boundaries, cultural boundaries, which is what we need as a human species to survive and thrive. And I think more entrepreneurially in, in the willingness to see, to stretch the boundaries of, of their governance and their power. Uh, in order to deliver for their citizens. And that, that is what we need. And to that extent, yes, it would be a good thing if mayors were ruling the world. Thank you very much, Mark.
Well, thank, thank you, Kai. Thanks so much for the platform to be able to, to talk with you today. And indeed, uh, I, I owe you a, a debt, as you know, from many years of being you know, one of the inspirational figures for me in my, my career, an introduction to cities and sustainability. So it's great to be connected again. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, kaiembren.org. Thank you for listening.